Good evening and welcome to another episode of Inner Side, episode 13. I'm Tom Hardman. I'm joined by JK and Scenario Neil, and tonight we're joined by the man who does this. Alex Reader getting a good head of steam up, but that has to be. Of course, it's Mr. Alex Reader, former Wasp player. How are you tonight, Alex? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to chatting to someone else other than my missus. <laughs> So, you might be a there. <laughs> so, uh, what have you been uh, filling your lockdown time with then? What, what sort of uh, stuff have you been doing? Uh, so my missus is a doctor, so I've basically become a house husband, looking after her, doing a bit of uh, cooking and cleaning, and then obviously baking, getting the pinny on and uh, the roller <laughs> out. Making She's got uh, something to come back to and make sure my hair's ready for some eye candy when she gets back from a long day of work. But um, no. Oh, we didn't want to know that bit. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, I've got images of you just in a <laughs> taking the naked chef literally. <laughs> Next level. Yeah. The um, no, it's it's a strange time because I think it, it's something that everyone's trying to be really productive with and trying to really fill up their time. But then, equally, you don't know how long this is going to go on for. So everyone started off with a lot of gusto and a lot of energy and yeah. sort of burnt out. So my my mindset was uh, sort of try and do something that I can do every day that won't burn me out, that I'm actually quite happy to do. Some, so sort of I'm trying to read uh, these leadership books, trying to read them uh, an hour or so a day, and then I'm doing an online course uh, on negotiation, which again, I do mm-hmm. about an hour worth, and then taking up Spanish as well. So it's, it's all very simple stuff that it's not taking up my whole day. It probably takes up three to four hours max. And then the rest of that is just spent just doing what I really fancy, you know, maybe going for a walk uh, or whatever and just just trying to make sure that I'm still motivated to carry on with my goals because, as I said, sometimes you get into this mindset that you have to fill up every waking second with being productive or else you feel bad. But actually, just getting through this with a good mindset and coming through not feeling exhausted because you've burnt yourself out doing all these other things, that's yeah. a win in its I think everyone needs to balance in their own way and I think uh, people people will you know some people will come out and they'll have been unbelievably productive they'll come out with a load of new tools and skills and others won't but no one's a winner in this it's just if, if you've got through with a good frame of mind and you've made it through to you know the end of this lockdown and going to the world and everything you know kick start again then I think that's a win in itself yeah I think uh, I mean, the, the moment well, uh, the only thing I'm going to come out of this with is uh, probably two stone of extra weight and uh, a podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, but you know, it could be worse. Yeah, I mean, someone's wanted to interject there. Obviously, it's interesting you say. Obviously, everyone deals with it in their own way. Um, you know, it's it's a strange time that we're in at the moment. Um, have you got any tips for anyone that might be struggling in lockdown? Um, anything that might get them out of a bad place? Anything? Any, any tips that that keep you happy and healthy? Uh, so, uh, you know, being a rugby player, we, you spend a lot of time at home. Our, our hours in the working day weren't that long. So we managed to take up a lot of hobbies. So I watch TV series or, as I said, I take up reading or I uh, like to play on the Xbox now and again. So they're very basic things that I like to do just to take my mind off it. But for me, it's about speaking to friends. It's about just keeping dialogue going. Yeah, you're in lockdown and you're not able to go out. But actually, I found... I'm probably speaking to my mates more than I ever did with yeah. with all these house parties and Zooms and all these different sort of uh, ways to contact people. And then 
it's a great opportunity to speak to family and as I said I'm taking up a lot of cooking and baking and things like that just to be honest I'm just trying to do different things I've not got a set template because everyone will be able to do something different and it's it's an incredibly trying time but I find going for a walk and clearing my head using the hour we have a day or whatever just to really go on a walk and you know because one thing I've noticed now is how quiet it is and how much it might yeah. sound weird but hear the birds chirping and things like that and actually it's quite a soothing it's quite a soothing feeling and mm -hmm. actually a lot of peace and quiet it's it's i'm really enjoying that it's almost yeah. you know almost like meditating it's, it's it's very cathartic and and that's something that i really enjoy and for me i think that's a useful tool for everyone getting some fresh air making sure if you don't have a garden that you stay in your social distance in two meters apart but that you're able to go for a walk and go to a park and make sure you get fresh air and and really just just sort of break up your day a little bit because sometimes yeah. if you do sit on the sofa day in day out you're probably you're probably going to feel sluggish so just mm. making sure you break it up be like actually i'm going to maybe go out and go for a walk now or actually maybe i'm going to try some cooking or maybe i'm going to take something up but take a bit of guitar or whatever i don't know but there's yeah. so many opportunities online for classes and languages and things like that you know we're it's not like in the sort of the early 1900s where if this happened during the spanish flu yeah. <laughs> you know really what were you going to do you, you know whereas yeah. now we've got yeah. great opportunity to speak to everyone we've got to expand your learning however you want to yeah. to really you know watch some great tv shows do, do what just makes you happy do what you've not had time to do when you're working nine till five all the time enjoy yeah. actually some downtime and things like that that's what i that's what well, that's what i'm doing so so, uh, so yeah you touched on uh, obviously a lot of emphasis on like the zoom calls the skype calls the house party calls Obviously, it's like a, um, you know, because because you can't go out and see your friends and family, you know, there's a big emphasis and there's a bit of novelty, obviously, in the first week or two, and then it just sort of becomes annoying. Um, do you think do you think that emphasis on improving communication and talking to people is going to carry on once we do eventually come out of lockdown? Because obviously, you know, yeah, we had well, we had our um, our character panel on the other day and. He was adamant that obviously it's just a reaction and he feels, you know, it will just drop off again. Do you think it will or do you think it should? You know, it's, it's, it's a million dollar question. Obviously, the one you hope it's going to end up as is, is that, yeah, people do pick up the phone more. I, you do find that a lot of people nowadays, the younger generation does like to say text and WhatsApp rather than speak over the phone. Whereas yeah. I've always actually, and my friendship group have naturally been phone callers. We've always wanted to FaceTime and chat on the phone anyway. So for us, it's actually, you know, we've, we've been using these tools like Zoom to actually get face to face and you can uh, play yeah. a quiz, drinking games and things like that, which <laughs> is fun. And you can't, you don't really do them and you can get more of a group involved, but I think the fact that it's gone on out now for a good couple of months and it's looking like it will be three or so plus months that we're in lockdown, I think that's when it instills more into people. I think if this was only a three-week momentary thing where we'd done this, then we're out and, you know, we're cracking on as normal, I'd, I think it would be a flash in the pan. But the fact that it's going on for such a length of time, I think mm. is instilling into people more and more the importance yeah. of it. And yeah. with that, I was... I was uh, an article online about how uh, it's something like 70% of the population on this YouGov uh, statistic they did wanted 
wanted to, you know, change how we went back. They didn't want to go back to normal life because clearly it wasn't as efficient. You, you can do a lot of meetings over these sort of methods. You can do a lot of things working at home now, spend more time with your family. There's a lot of things that actually this has shown that, that we can do. And actually, hopefully, in a way, as you said, it's brought us more together because people might want to speak a bit more and realise that they were taking it for granted. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit on a good point there. Like, and I know you mentioned it briefly, but when I was younger, certainly, you know, there was no mobiles, there was no internet, there was none of all this. You know, and we had to fight. You'd be out from, you know, from nine in the morning till nine at night when it got dark, and you have no phones. You, you, and, and I think it's interesting that you touched on this point that that it's starting to bring a bit of that back. The, the moment that people are told they can't go outside, they can't go and see their mates. That's all they want to do. Um, yeah. And if if, if this can carry on, brilliant. Um, I think it might slip slightly, but like you say, I mean, I've never spoke to my mum as much as I have done in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, which is a great thing. Hi, mum. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just proves that just proves a point that the one person who watches for Neil is his mum. Yeah. She's a subscriber. Is she a subscriber? She is a subscriber. She shares hey. every week. She shares every week. Uh, has to cut that out. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but yeah, um, is there anything that you're doing in terms of, you know, fitness techniques or anything trying to keep yourself going, you know, with limited space that you've got and, you know, the, the time that you've got on your hands at the moment, Alex? Yeah, so, well, we're, we're in an apartment, a top floor apartment, so it does become quite tough because... You can't really have weights in the house because they'll go through five <laughs> levels of floors and next thing you know, we're down to, we're, we're down in the basement somehow. No one new to talk to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's bits and bobs, so sort of hit classes and mm. sort of the Joe Wicks body coach type, type uh, fitness thing. But uh, the tough thing for me really has been the fact that I had an operation start of December so I had an osteotomy, which is a chunk of your shin bone cut out and replaced with metal rods to realign how your knee is. And then also I had an ACL replacement, LCL fix up, and my cartilage was all trimmed down. So it's quite yeah. extensive and it re I required a lot of physio for it. Uh, now, I wasn't coming back to play rugby. I'd retired and with these operations, you can never play rugby anyway. But... Mm. Um, it, it was something that I needed physiotherapy of with, and this has made it pretty difficult, to be honest. So when we go on these walks with me and my partner, it does start to hurt quite a lot. And there's yeah. only so much you can do body weight wise in, in the apartment. So I do a lot of basic balance stuff, which is always very good for, uh, for your legs and stuff. Obviously body weight squats and lunges and things like that. A lot of sort of hypertrophy type, type training, which when you've not got any weights, that's pretty much the main type of training you can do. And that's great. You can work up a bit of a sweat on, but it, it has been tough from a physical point of view for myself because I, I need to be in a gym with the equipment and the weights, try and build yeah. up my quads and strength again and try and really build into that. But it's, it's, a, it's a minimal problem compared to what people are dealing with. So it's, it's something I can live with. Yeah, perfect. So obviously, I want to take you back. Um, originally come from my neck of the woods. Um, so you're Yorkshire Carnegie, spent some time at Wolfdale. Before all that, where did it all start for you? <clears throat> so I'd, uh, we'd lived down in Reading. I'd lived, my dad worked in Chow, so we'd moved around quite a lot. And so I'd never really played much rugby. Lived in the Isle of Man, Reading, uh, Cumbria, place like that. So 
I never played rugby. Then we moved to America and played American football, things like that, and I loved it. Oh. And then when I came back, went to a boarding school called Giggleswick, yeah, and <laughs> I'd, re- I'd, re- I'd really got into the contact element of, of sport. I loved it. We were at that age where you were able to start melting into each other and tackling, so I really loved it. Mm. And uh, being a, lucky, going to a public school, I was able to play rugby. I know a lot of... Uh, uh, state schools they don't play rugby they play football uh, so it, it was something that I was I just had to do because we're forced to do it but I also loved it and then you all your mates are playing it so then I joined a local rugby club called North Ribblesdale so I was playing uh, it, I was at I was, you know that young age when you're playing on a Saturday you're playing on a Sunday and you're still full of energy on to play on yeah. a Monday the cult the cults <laughs> the cults 17 18 Saturday oh. Yeah, well, I, I do miss those days. Yeah, okay. well, I was... Bradford and Bingley on a on a week on a Saturday. Bradford and Bingley on a Sunday, and then Bingley Grammar on a uh, on a Monday. It's like it was an, well, that's it. Your body just could take it. Well, that's it. So yeah. we, I, I come over. So I started playing rugby at uh, thirteen. Uh, so that's when we came back from America, and it was good. It was good. Loved it. And as I said, I was playing at North Ribbles there, and you're just building a, such a great bond with the lads. I think I think one thing sport gives you, especially rugby is a bond amongst your mates like no yeah. other. I love, I love yeah. football, I love cricket, I love any sport. I think that's natural with any sports when they like anything competitive. But rugby, there was always that sort of intangibles around it that you just couldn't place. And it was just, you had a bond with lads because you're having to put your body on the line. And it hurts. No matter yeah. what age, things would hurt. You'd get hit in the face, you'd break your nose, you'd do whatever at a young age. It would hurt, but yet you did it because you were with your mates and you loved it. And then yeah. growing up, it built that level of respect. You had to respect refs, you had to respect coaches. And it was a really just a great atmosphere. And uh, I was lucky that I played for Yorkshire County, which is obviously the best county. There's no I question. I think the Bilbo Note Cop says otherwise. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's no it's no doubt my favourite county and that's yeah. having spent quite a bit of time in Bradford because my grandparents are from there and that, I'm oh, still yeah. championing I'm still championing Yorkshire even though I've spent time in Bradford which uh, <laughs> if you've never well, been I don't <laughs> my, my, uh, half my side of my family are in Bradford hence why I was at uh, Bees for a, for a yeah but but uh, no I was just lucky to play for Yorkshire and again you met a great bunch of lads from a lot of different walks of life as well and uh, I've still known these lads. Some of them came, like Ben Morris. He plays for Wasps now. Went through the age group together. Chris Walker was someone I started off at North Ribblesdale with. And he was captain England. Unfortunately, had some bad injuries at the wrong time. And it's a really unfortunate thing for his, uh, obviously, dad passing away. Unfortunately, it, it materialised. But he was a phenomenal player and a phenomenal lad. And you just met a lot of great people from a lot of different walks of life. And for me... It was just something that I enjoyed so much, not just because of the rugby, but everything it gave me. And it was yeah. something that I was just to keep progressing. So uh, playing for Yorkshire, I went into Leeds Carnegie Academy and uh, I had the opportunity then to go to university. So I was at the University of Leeds. So in my head, I was like, I might as well play rugby whilst I'm at university. It pays for that. I might do Makes both. Sense, yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, and then by the time I was about to finish up university, I was 22 and uh, Wasp came in and said, you know, we'd like you to join us. So then I was like, well, you know, I'd be an absolute fool to not go go there. And my agent called me up and said, George Smith's signing. So if you don't sign, I will. So uh, I, didn't really have, I didn't really have a choice. But no, it was, it was the greatest thing that's happened just because 
the rugby, I love rugby and the sport itself, but for me, the best thing is everything around it. It gives you a platform to meet people you never thought, to be in environments you never thought, go to experience things like, and just make a bond with players that it's just yeah. for life. It's, it's just fantastic in every respect. It's fun, Pardon? Yeah. It's, it's literally brotherhood and family, isn't it? You know, um, rugby in general, it has got that. But we were mentioning the other day on another podcast that, I mean, a lot of us play 15s and 7s, um, and we all play for different clubs all over the UK. But I don't know if you've experienced it or, you know, people have experienced it. But when we get together for 7s, it seems completely different. It seems so much closer even than, than 15. Um, provided you know we play for all different clubs all over the UK mm. when we get together it's like it's like we've known each other all our lives it's, it's amazing and you know that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's it's it's <laughs> especially with you in charge of the drinks JK <laughs> well it's it's a, it's, it's probably because you're on tour you know you go on oh yeah <laughs> you go on tour and you know you're on you're on a uh, on the set tour aren't you on the seven so you go to the same competition yeah. you're staying over in these places so you're just going to bond with the lads and that's the thing with with uh, rugby there's no grudges you see yeah. it but as I said I love football I love a lot of sports but in football there's such hatred and mm. animosity yeah. which is, is is so artificial as well because oh, yeah. you ask someone, why do you hate them they can't give yeah. you a reason <laughs> wrong. someone's done something to wrong you then you have yeah. a reason to not like them but a lot of the yeah. time it's purely based on a geographical location because <laughs> yeah. stupid. Like, what? Why am I going to hate someone because they were born two miles away? It doesn't make sense to me. But if someone, you know, if someone had a genuine reason, then I'd be like, fine, yeah. fair enough. And that's that's the thing in rugby. You have all your derbies and everyone gets hyped up, and I love that because it is, you know, it's like claiming your turf, and I like that. Mm. But then as the game's finished. You're having yes, meals yes. together. You're having, yes. you know, you, you've got the, the, you know, the opposition friends and family are sat in the exact same place as our friends and family because everyone's mixing and there's no, there's no sort of anger or hatred towards anyone because I, I have respect for anyone that puts a gum shield and boots on, no matter what gender, no matter who you are, no matter what level you play at. If you yeah. put a gum shield on and step onto a pitch and play a game of rugby, I've got respect. I don't care what you know, how you do. Mm. The fact is, you put yourself out there. And I think people need to realise that the players don't feel like this. It's just the fans yeah. that have this opinion that there's such hatred, whereas it's not. And my family are big Leeds United fans, so I've been to Leeds Millwall. I've seen this. But... I've been things at the moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just me. If, if Leeds don't get promoted, oh, my word, it's going to be garnished. <laughs> But, I mean, you well, see the anger, but then on the pitch, it's like the players won't be like that. The players will just want to play a game. And, like, look, mm -hmm. it's good to get the fans involved and get the chance and stuff. But you need to know. put things in perspective. If you, if, you, if you look at Celtic versus Rangers, I think they'd say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's reli religious-based thing. So, I mean, then then that at least is some set level of foundation. But, I mean, gee, some of some of it, I just oh, think, what are you on about? It's like, it's like Leeds, when Leeds and Bradford used to be together, absolutely mental. Because my, my dad was the city um, steward. And, yeah. Because and he's and he just as bad as the stewards. It, just because he loved his, uh, his club so much, he'd go stand in the away fans. Just <laughs> going to kick off. <laughs> just for the fun of it. Exactly. Say, I've never been to a rugby ground and needed a, a, an eight to ten foot fence, uh, you know, separating the yeah. It's one of the so main Bath versus Bristol at the wreck is probably one of the biggest rivalries in, in rugby. Mm. 
my opinion. And, I don't know about yeah. you guys. I always enjoy it more when there's an opposition. Oh, it's great. It's like, I think I was no, at like, was... watching England, Ireland, and there was some Irish guy behind me giving it the big one. But then it was just like having a laugh with him afterwards. Mm-hmm. Thing. It wasn't anything bad. But yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. You've, you've got to get the he- look. I love the heckling. I love the banter. I love the chanting. And that's actually, if anything, I would like rugby to maybe have a bit more sort of yeah. big chants and things like that going. But I mean, the thing is, it's the fact that you can have a pint with them. You sat amongst each other, getting given banter, having drinks, and just enjoying it. And that's what it is. Like the fa- that's that's what I love. The fact that it doesn't matter who you're next to. You could be in a pub watching anything. You could be a pub in Dublin watching England, Ireland, and you could just be giving banter and everyone will love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, in terms of, um, in terms of banter and stuff like that, yeah, I mean, I went to, I went to Twickenham before watching England, Ireland again, funnily enough, and um, I, I didn't realise it was card only. Uh, so I there, drew all my cash out for the day. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Got to the bar, ordered two pints, and then the, the bloke was like, oh, it's card only. And this, this Irish bloke I literally spoke to 10 seconds before, didn't even know his name, just chatting. He said, oh, yeah, don't beat us too badly. He went, oh, don't worry, I'll get this and pay for it. He was nearly putting in, like, 15, 20 quid worth of drinks. Like, <laughs> I, love, I love about that whole story is that it was Neil's big day out of Gloucester, so he withdrew all his cash. I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine withdrew all the cash in, like, putting it in an envelope and a big Velcro wallet. No, no, no. What I want to know is how many beers did he have before uh, he had to go home? Yeah. One thing Green. I was going to ask, Alex, obviously, playing for Wasps, um, you've obviously played at Kingdom uh, <laughs> in front of the Mighty Shed. Is, is that, uh, I mean, am I being biased? Is that, is that one of the... <laughs> I mean, you play the Mighty Shed for starters. Uh, one of the most places you get sick, or is there anywhere worse to play in the Premiership where you just know you're going to get both barrels off the fans all day? Gloucester. <laughs> so, well, so Gloucester, the main reason why going to Kingdom was was tough was because the pitch was horrendous <laughs> it used to just be a bog between well between that and bath the, going to the wreck as soon as you go past oh, you know past December January time <laughs> it's just a bog you have to play him either start of the year or end of the year because it's just a bog and it's just not worth it but mm. uh, in terms of Sandy Park's decent but you can, can barely hear the fans it's so windy it's so windy you can't hear anything oh, that's um, what they say but no, to be fair, to be fair to the shed, they are they are loud, and they they, they mm. walk out, and it's very closed in, and you've got them all chanting at you. So it is pretty a pretty intense atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so to be honest, yeah, it's, it's, and they always pack it out. To be fair, they always yeah. have a full. They are always rammed. So that yeah. makes a big difference. Sometimes you play at some grounds, and there's barely anyone there. There's probably only about five, six plus thousand. You mean like when we moved? You, you know, mean like when we first moved to the Rico? Yeah, it's still anyway. No, it's quite good. We were averaging about sixteen, seventeen thousand work before uh, before this year or whatever. We have, used to have an all right crowd, but yeah, yeah, I went to the I went to the Gloucester game this season. Um, that, that was a good crack, to be fair. You wore a Gloucester shirt and you support Bath. You wore a Gloucester coat and you support Bath. I wore a red oh, coat. I lost the coat. You disgusting. <laughs> anyway, so, that is disgraceful. Circling back, to back to, circling back to your career, Alex. Obviously, signing for Wasps and then obviously injuries hit. Do you want to just talk us through that? How you, you know, how you dealt with that? What <clears> you <throat> had, obviously, you know, injury 
unfortunately, is a massive part of the game we all we all love. Yeah. So um, I'd been fortunate up until that point. I'd never had an injury really that made me miss games. I'd had a couple of knocks here and there, but yeah. I'd never had injuries that made me miss a, any any amount of game time really. So third game in uh, to the season, I dislocated my shoulder against Quinns. Uh, 10 minutes in and that was gutting because I'd had a good season before that and I was first choice six. I was starting every game. I was played all throughout and I was being told I was, you know, I was going to be starting six of the season, everything like that. And then just get my shoulder. So I was like, oh, for, you know, this is what it is. Yeah. And um, you sort of accept it. It's a ticking time bomb, as you said, with, with injuries. You're going to get, unfortunately the nature of the game and the physicality aspect of it, it's going to happen at some point. You just don't yeah. know what severity. So I thought yeah. a shoulder injury, it actually, in my head, I was like, it's not too bad. I was like, if it was my lower leg, then that, that's an issue. Because mm. I was like, if I can't dance, if I can't sort of spin through tackles or sidestep, then I won't be able to play my game. Whereas I was like, shoulder-wise, I'll be able to recover. Anyway, uh, came back in five months, they, they, uh, which I was happy with. They told me it'd be six months. So I came back a month early. Then playing Exeter, um, Jack Willis had been playing really, really well. It was his breakout season as well. He hadn't, you know, really played much before that. And then obviously everyone saw him, how class he was. And mm. then he uh, he got an injury, so he came off. And I was told, right, you're coming on. And there was uh, only 50 minutes played. So I was like, oh, 30 minutes. This is great. Made a couple of tackles, hit a couple of rooks. I was like, that's all I need to do to test my shoulder. This is fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. Got, got the ball, made a line break. So I broke a couple of tackles. I was through on the fullback, um, went to step off my left, and at that time just got scythe down. It was really strange. I don't feel anything, but mm. I looked down and the ball was like, ball, like bobbling away. The ref had blown up before I'd even hit the ground. So I was like, what the hell's happened? Because I couldn't feel anything, but I knew someone was up. Yeah. And I looked down and my leg was straight, but my knee, the whole knee joint, was facing the wrong way. Basically, like facing, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I looked down, and like one of my closest mates, Cruzy, was just like, FNL, FNL, F, like just shouting, like everyone just yeah, moved yeah. away. Yeah. And I was just looking there, and I was like, no, nah, like, what the hell does this even mean? Because, uh, like, a dislocated knee, I knew it wasn't my kneecap because a kneecap, you, you've seen it before, and you can it moves a little bit, whereas this was yeah, the yeah. whole knee joint, yeah. And I'd, I'd never seen this before, and um. The, the extra chiefs, well, the physios came on and looked at it and were like, oh my God, what do we do? Like, no one knew what to do. Shoulders, you just, you put in, you relocate, whereas knees, the reason why people lose their legs in, in car crashes, not because their leg flies off, it's because you have arteries behind the knee, you have all these yeah. things around the knee that if it gets knocked out of place, that's when they tear and that's when people lose their legs. So the, the extra chief doctor came on. He was an A&E specialist who does car crashes and stuff like that. So he managed to push my knee in during the game, uh, during, on the pitch. So I said to the physio, can I run this off? And they were like, mate, not a chance. And they took me to hospital. And then on the way to the hospital, I'd, my parents were distraught, obviously. Yeah. Um, my partner was on a elective. So in medical school, you go away for... Uh, eight weeks uh, to a different country and do medicines there. So she was in Zanzibar sunning herself on the beach, getting these Twitter <laughs> updates. And then also she saw and was trying to fantastically call my mum. But we're in this ambulance going to hospital and you're hearing them saying, dislocated knee, uh, all these scans, potentially going into emergency surgery. 
I said to the the, uh, the paramedic, you know, what could happen? They said, you could lose your leg. So at this point, I was like, geez, pirate for the rest of my life with a stump. Um, I was like, this is great. So we get to hospital, anyway, tore everything. There is to tear in your knee, pretty much. It, it was completely dust. So yeah, it was, it's, it's the toughest thing was getting back after that and getting home to an apartment on my own and getting the news of the MRI scan and basically said, all right, this is the worst injury we've ever seen. Like, it's not looking good. And you just, you just go from in your head thinking, could this be the year? I, I don't know, I potentially could have made a push for England. Is this a chance mm-hmm. I could have made whatever? You just never know what sites you could have. Playing for Wasps being first choice at a club like Wasps, yeah, your sites are always set high. Yeah. And yeah. I, I thought I was playing pretty well against people, you know, in my position and things like that against the league. And then next thing you know, you're getting told you might never walk properly again. So it's, it's a, you know, I, it's, it's so hard to take, but yeah. it's one that I didn't take well. I did everything mm. wrong that you should. I tried to basically do everything opposite to being a rugby player. I ate badly. I was, you know, just not doing right physio. I was doing everything that I shouldn't be doing because I didn't want to think about it. I wanted to be, have self-pity for myself. I wanted to mm. sort of almost forget it didn't happen and almost make excuses for it. And it only is after a certain amount of time when people had spoken to me and I sort of realised, I said, if I don't give this a go, then I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I mean, look, the mm. chances are against me, but at the end of the day, day I'm still at the table. I want to place my bet and see and see how it falls sort of thing. And if I don't yeah. give it a chance, I'll never know. And it really sort of Jack Willis and Marcus Garrett and Jimmy Gopeth were all injured at the same time with me. And we rallied around each other because we had our ups and downs. And mm-hmm. so we guided each other through and it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, look, obviously mine didn't have the ending I would have liked. Uh, but I got to play at the Rico again and walk off the pitch. And that was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I mean, I knew at the time, my knee, before that game, I could barely walk up the stairs the day before the game because my knee was so bad. But in my head, I was like, I have to play this game just for my peace of mind. And yeah. it, it, was, it was tough, but I got through it. And it's something I can now look back and say, I've given it a shot and I couldn't have done any more. And I, I've got nothing but happiness. And then on the flip side, I've seen how our people like Jack and Jimmy worked. And to see them go out and, be as world class as they were, it's it's great, you know, and it gave me a huge it, it it gave me a huge love for the game again because sometimes you you take it for granted a bit and you take a lot of stuff for granted. You take you know you take your health for granted. You take sort of being paid as well as you do as a rugby player for granted. You take all these things for granted, and actually it was a bit of a leveler, and it it sort of made me realise actually not everything's going to be rosy and handed to me on a silver plate and you've got to step up and actually yeah. it helped my, you know, my resilience and dealing with adversity and coming through it. And I've done quite a few mental health talks and you speak to some people and there's some people who have set up charities because of a bereavement they've had through suicide in their family. You think that is real loss. That's real suffering. And they've come out and made a silver lining and are making mm. people's lives better. And I'm just an injured sportsman and I'm crying about it. What have I got to cry about? I've still got, yeah, my lungs. I've still got a great fiance. I've still got a great family and friends and memories and opportunities. So why, why can't I move on? It's about putting things into perspective. And for me, that was probably the best thing that came out of it was just the ability to look at things and actually put things into perspective and know that, look, 
people will get knocked and you will have tough times again and, and struggle, but know that I've been able to come through it once and I can come through it again. And actually, let's put things into perspective. Is this going to kill me? No. Is this something I can move on from? Yes. Then let's move forward sort of thing. So from a mindset point of view, it's probably the best thing happened. That's great advice. It is great advice. Yeah, wonderful. You know, at the end of the day, it's about looking at the silver lining like you quite rightly said. Um, and I mean, I... I I, I suffered with depression um, in the past. I, I broke up my wife, went to India um, for a couple of weeks with my father. And it was only, I had a, like an epiphany when I was in India. I was like, I was sat on a train station platform and there was this beggar there and his legs were misformed where he had broken them and he couldn't afford anything or anything like that. And, and he was drag, literally dragging himself along the train station, asking you know, for, t- uh, for, for money and stuff like that. But he was still smiling. And you think, Jesus Christ, if, he, if a guy like that who's got everything against him, can still smile and still be polite and say, hello, sir, how are you? Now, what the hell have I got to be down about? You know, and that was a turning point for me with my depression in, in realising that, but hell, like, that there is a lot worse things out there than, than what we're all dealing with. Yeah, well, that's it. And you need to, you know, you need to take the highs with the lows, but it's, it's that knowledge, yeah, that, look... Yeah, things are going to hit you and it's going to be tough, but the dark times aren't always going to happen forever. It's like the Queen's speech. We're going to see each other again. Things will move past this. And it's, yeah. it's having that mindset that, look, you're going to feel low. That's life. Life can be incredibly hard, but mm. it's knowing that if you just push through and you don't give up, but actually just battle through. And that battling through might just be having a day in bed. It might be just chatting to a mate. It might be having a cry. It might be going out and working out. It might be any number of things. Might be going out getting drunk. It, it doesn't matter, but it's about just riding that storm for a bit, knowing that yeah. look, I'm going to get through it, and and knowing that you're a better person for it. And it's, I think, it's always that it's about building that resilience and that deal. And you can't deal get that without adversity. You can't yeah. build mental strength without dealing with some level yeah. of with some adversity against you. And I think it's so important yeah. that people realise that it, it's a test, but you'll you'll get the support of others you know people are around you people have suffered in so, some way or whatever regardless of what you've thought but they'll help you through it and it's yeah as you said it's it's getting through it gritting your teeth and smiling or whatever and it's about mm. coming through and knowing that look it's not all bad and it will yeah. get good just think of the good times because actually they they far outnumber the bad times so I'll tell you, we're going to have one hell of a party when this is over, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think, I think for me, some, uh, obviously, myself and, and I think most of us here have all suffered something in the past in, in terms of depression. I think it's getting people to know that it's okay to not be okay at times. Mm-hmm. Don't feel so bad about having to have a cry or having to talk to someone. It's okay yeah. not to be okay at the moment. Um, mm. And you will come out the back of it. But for this moment in time, Try it out, get drunk, do what you need to do to get to that point. Obviously, when I what? say get drunk, don't go on that spiral and down with you're gonna do those yeah. at that point moment in time, but it's okay. There is people yeah. there to help you through that. Well that's it. It's if, okay to fall over. People are gonna be there yeah. to pick you up and stuff like that. It, it's mm-hmm. it will all be fine. Yeah. But just touching on that, obviously we spoke briefly, obviously everyone has their own mental battle, their own life path and struggles. We spoke briefly earlier about Andy Goo's tweet. Um obviously I think it was <coughs> Sam Smith 
obviously struggling with lockdown <laughs> and um, the veteran uh, who raised tremendous amount of money for the NHS. You know, what's your opinion on that? Because obviously, you know, the argument up there was, you know, he's a big famous singer. He's got you know, multi-million pounds in the bank. He's isolated in a mansion, but you know, as you all know, you know, money does not buy you happiness or guarantee it for you. So, what's your sort of, you know, opinion on people taking that sort of line? It's it's a tough one, you know. It's um, it's it's that fine balance. But and I think obviously what Goody was very uh, point trying to point out in, in just a poor way was was <laughs> uh, having sort of that resilience and building up your mental strength to deal with adversity. And I think that's what he was pointing to uh, Captain Moore about, that that sort of era had a lot of uh, stiff upper lip and battled through and it was the British way and all things like that. But actually, what we've learned is from that era, there's a lot of PTSD and a lot of suffering that a lot of people did in silence. And look, there's a time for a bit of putting a brave face on. And, and uh, it's a tough one because I applaud... Sam Smith as well for for being able to showcase his emotions, but equally, you know, it's about that perspective aspect and knowing that, yeah. look, that you know, look, there's probably a lot of people that don't have the luxury environment he has, you yeah. know. But then again, you don't know what battles he's been through. You don't know his background. You don't. It's that old adage: don't speak about someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes, sort of thing. And it's so tough to to sort of pinpoint mental health as being this one sort of area or this is how it looks or this is how you, this is only when you should be able to suffer because actually it could it could be the straw that broke the camel's back you just don't know what was the cause yeah. of it and yeah. it, look captain moore is is an absolute legend in capacity he he embodies the british spirit and i think it's fantastic i do as i said i I am a big advocate for mental health, but I equally think that there is a huge place for mental toughness as well. And I think sometimes yeah. you need to balance pandering with with uh, sort of support, you know, or, or not pandering with a bit of like, look, let's get through this. Let's sort of let's lift, get up, lift your chin up, and let's get through this sort of thing. But mm. then it's an incredibly difficult time for a lot of people, and. Yeah he might be an absolute social butterfly and not being able to mix with a lot of people. And it yeah. might be incredibly tough and that might be a really tough thing for him. So I just don't know. But as I said, there's, you know, you see sometimes and people are getting so upset, say, oh, I'm so depressed about this. And actually, I think that word has been thrown around willy-nilly. Yeah, it's been around a lot of, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a, like a lot of things, you know, it's, it's like you get called a socialist or a fascist. All, all these words are used so flippantly, whereas actually it loses their meaning. Like, these, you know, to suffer is a really tough word. And actually it takes a lot. People that really it is a tough thing to overcome. Mm. And you can't ever begrudge someone because they've come out and said, I'm suffering. Yeah, but no. I, it, it's it's a tough one because it, I don't know much about him. I don't know if he uses that word flippantly or not. But it, it's it's probably ill advised as a public figure to to sort of slam yeah. yeah. comments on it. Yeah, because, because, because it, it, it does. Sorry, sorry, in terms of follow up question to that. <laughs> in terms of mental health as a whole, do you think the Premiership? or Premier, Premiership Rugby, are doing enough to look after players in terms of mental health awareness and uh, mental issues? It's, it's a tough one. So, 
uh, it, it's a growing field, definitely. You know, mental health has probably only been prevalent for the last 10, 20 years max. It's not, you know, people don't really, it's not, it's not been a great growing field. My, my, you know, partners worked in during a junior doctor in psychiatry and even in that field, they're still discovering a lot of things and you don't, there's no, it's still very hard to diagnose the brain and know what's going on. So it's so hard, but, and equally in a, in a game where unfortunately you just have to each week go out, you're going to be slandered by fans. You're going to be, you know, called out by opposition. It's a pretty terrifying prospect to go out on TV in front of thousands of people getting called out over social media. But in some ways it's so hard because you want to support people mentally, but equally if you if you gave everyone the opportunity to sort of you sort of look after them and sort of shelter them then no one would ever play unfortunately just got to sort of stick in but then there is a big emphasis now on doctors being involved with the mental health side having psychologists Mm -hmm. speak to and things like that and it's a great thing to have um but it's so hard in professional sport because i said it's a performance-based game and if people aren't performing, what you, you know, they're going to lose contracts, they're going to get sacked, and that's mm. going to cause that. But what can you do? You can't just give a charity out, and then it's like that. It's like, how do you, how do you solve yeah. it? It's a really tough thing. And then people are coming in, they've got families who have newborn children and they're not sleeping, and they've had a bad game and they're getting called out. It's like, how do you balance this? But yeah, it, to me, the RPA, uh, they're starting to build on it definitely. Uh, a few clubs definitely, I think need to catch up with with probably psychologists in-house to help mm-hmm. support lads because I think sometimes the biggest thing is just being able to vent and not just yeah. vent to a fellow player but vent to a psychologist who might be able to probe um, sort of things out of you so I was I was lucky that the team doctor Ralph Mitchell he's a he's one of the kindest mm-hmm. blokes I know and he was always there to speak to me when when I was in my lowest points and things and he was he was calling me on the phone and things like that. And he was someone I could just speak to and be honest. And sometimes mm. you can't really say how severe you are feeling to your fellow rugby players, because actually it's, yeah. it's incredibly open and, and terrifying. So actually it's, it's some clubs definitely need to catch up with having people in house for them to speak to. But yeah. as I said, it, it's, there's no, there's no answer to it because professional sport you need results you're going to get called out you can't stop social media you can't stop results you know at the end of the day if we win another team's lost so what you're saying the other 23 lads are going to be hammered in the review Mm. (laughs) you know what's their mental health saying yeah yeah so it's so hard to to really help everyone but but i definitely think um there's work to be done in-house but as a body they are doing better the rpa definitely helping yeah, I was going to touch up on the uh, the RPA because I know you're the representative on the board, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah. Obviously, so you you you're quite knowing what the work is about, the RPA are doing, and we've had Marcus uh, Watson and we've had Lewis Ludlow. Both have been big advocates saying the RPA has been brilliant. What are they got in place and what are they doing during this time at the moment? I know they helped you through your injury. Yeah. Um, what are they doing now at the moment and how, what are they going on to help players go through this time from doing full-time rugby? Yeah. Essentially nothing. Yeah, so the RPA, yeah, so the Rugby Players Association. Um, but to be honest, that's probably the greatest thing that happened to me in terms of 
it gave me something to help the lads out when I was injured. When you're not helping the lads on playing rugby, it was, it was a great opportunity to sort of support the lads in different fields. Now, what the RPA is fantastic at at the moment is they've been in touch sort of helping lads with pay cuts and knowing what their legal issues are and, you know, what their legal positions are. So that provides a lot of... Uh, it gives a lot... Um, God, I can't think of the word now. It's it's pretty black and white. It gives lads the opportunity to know exactly where they stand. And then yeah. um, they've also been offering uh, classes, on virtual classes, like entrepreneurial classes and, oh, nice. and uh, different things like that, which is really good. They've also got... Uh, they're also very good at, you know, you've got every club has a, uh, has another RPA player development manager who uh, you can speak with and they can help sort of promote your LinkedIn or help you if you want further education and things like that. So it's a real, they're really good at supporting lads building a career outside of, outside of rugby. Now, it, you know, they're not going to hold your hand. You need to have some yeah. level of autonomy and, and drive, but they are very good at providing opportunities. Um, it's, it's obviously a very tough time to sort of get chatting to companies and sort of, sort of prepare shadowing and internships or job opportunities if you're retiring. But, you know, for me, uh, they put me in touch with uh, Josh Frappy, who's the sort of, he sorted out, uh, the transition from retiring into the business world and he's been great put me in touch with companies and helping my CV and things like that they've also uh, provide insurance and things like that so they, they provide quite a wide net of protection and uh, they, they're some they're a governing body that I well a union that I think are are vital to the game without them <laughs> the game it would be a dark dark place for rugby yeah and it's, it's, it's good that obviously the, the, the healthy players set themselves up for the future because if you look at a lot of football, ex-footballers, they finished, they didn't have that help to get them set off. Obviously, you've got the likes of Beckham's and uh, Gary Lineker's who landed on their feet with some great jobs going on. But then look at The majority go and retire <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Do that's what's great about what the RPA are doing is, is literally setting you up for the future because obviously the lifespan of a rugby player is shorter than most. Mm. You're looking mm. mid thirties at, at the at best generally. Yeah. Obviously, you've still got a long way to retirement from anything else other than that. So it's it's, it's great to see that. Yeah. Well, no question. So the uh, you know as you said, the lifespan of rugby players ten twelve years or so, and yeah. and you don't earn. I think there's less than a percent of rugby players could probably retire off what they've earned if they yeah. invested wisely. The rest mm. are going to have to go into a second career. So that's why, as I said, they're very good with further learning and other things like that. But um, the, the thing that rugby provides is transferable skills and the level of cognitive diversity that is hugely rewarding to companies. But it, it's about finding companies that are willing to, to take you on and grow because we've obviously coming in you know, a lot of rugby players will come in in their 30s and they'll have no business knowledge, but they'll have a huge set of skills like communication, leadership, sort of a lot yeah. of great things that are vital to yeah. uh, companies. But it's about a company taking the opportunity to mentor them and get them through. And that's what the RPA have been great at because it's a, a great alumni network that you can speak to p companies with play people like uh, who are working there like Deloitte, PwC, uh, KPMG, place like that with ex-rugby players and you can speak to them 
and you know they can say their pathways and what helped them in interviews and things like that and you know you find it's a really great network of alumni that really supporting each other and that's another great thing with the rpa but the skills the skill set rugby players have or anyone in sport for that matter it, it, it's huge people people definitely underestimate the importance of communication and leadership and and sort of um yeah. and sort of that take it being that level of humility to accept criticism and sort of rebound and improve from it i think the mm. things that people don't realize how good they are for businesses mm, um, yeah. and i think that again is what the rpa is good at about showcasing that to companies and sort of a, a hype person behind the plug they're going to you know try and get a job <laughs> well, would you well, say uh, a trend of of rugby players uh, i mean transferable skills from from rugby uh, to perhaps sales um, mm. The reason I'm asking this, it seems to be um, quite a few I've seen on Facebook now, ex-rugby players going into like recruitment and sales. Mm. Do you think they've got transferable skills? Because obviously people skills and that sort of thing. Do you think that that's, you know, something yeah. that... No question. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Well, it's, it's, it's that ability to build a rapport out of nothing. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, it's th that communication with people that people don't understand how how effective rugby players are now look some people aren't interested in rugby and that's fine and that you know but if they are that's always a bonus but if they're not what we're still able to do is have a conversation hold courts we're able to be yeah. in a room or a group of people and stand there your shoulders broad and speak and have that level of aura and level of sort of this is what I'm saying listen yeah. and that thing that people don't realize and it's such an intangible sort of uh, thing that happens but actually it's hugely powerful we do a lot of q a's pre and post game in front of hundreds of people and that's been a platform for me i've done i've done um i've been at public speakers at a few events in front of over a thousand people at events and things like that and these are things that i just was able to do because of rugby building me into it from going yeah, yeah. At Rotherham and Leeds Carnegie doing it in front of 30, 40 people to doing it at Wasp in front of 100, 200, 300 people. And then from there, you build. And it's, it's that it's putting you out there, meaning that you go into these hospitality events, you're speaking with COOs and CEOs and heads of department and holding court with them. And a lot of people would be terrified at speaking, but you just, you just stand and talk to them because yeah. you've got that level of confidence and you've got that level of sort of. Uh, you can speak with some level of clarity and sort of convey yourself pretty well. And it's a lot of things like that that's hugely valuable. And yeah, sales is, is obviously a, a, a profession that, that encompasses that entirely. And so I definitely think there's a reason. Well, it's very yeah. similar to the military. I've, I've met so many people in the military since I've been transitioning. My brother's in the military. So mm -hmm. I, I've met quite a few of them, but um, they have identical mantras and skills to rugby players, yeah. their, their, their sense of brotherhood and their sense of putting your body on the line for each other and having to be disciplined and professional and it's a high-performing, demanding environment and need results and it's about that level of clarity and communication, all those things that sportsmen have. And the military is, a lot of companies have these military pathways and what they're introducing now is sports pathways in, uh, intrinsically with the military ones and actually it's it's something that I think the next generation of rugby players are going to be hugely uh, successful in transitioning into because I think people are now starting to realise actually these are hugely valuable skill sets yeah okay. well uh, yeah on that note uh, thank you very much for your time Alex. whoa 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 and uh, yeah we'll oh, just he, wants, he, wants, he wants his quick scenario 
Well, on, sorry, Alex. I, try, I tried to save you, Alex. I tried to save you. No, that's fine. Well, a couple of normal questions first. Um, what would you say is your best experience in rugby? Um, scenario. Scenario, Neil. Best, best experience in rugby. See, I've probably got, I've probably got two. So okay. I'll give you, I'll give you. One was at at Rotherham. Was just my second season. Was probably my second season at Rotherham. Now I know that's quite a broad thing, but the bond of the lads there. We had lads on five grand a, a year on absolute pennies, but the bond and the the, the socials and the mind. Oh my god, the socials were <laughs> carnage. It was just well, the happy. It's probably my favourite ever time playing rugby. It was one of those that I enjoyed every second of it. You with your closest mates, you're partying all the time, you're winning games, and it was just great. And then. Probably the next best uh, experience of my life was playing at the Aviva Stadium in the yeah. quarterfinals of Europe. That was amazing nice. against Leinster. So that was class. Brilliant. And um, on the flip side, what was the, what's the worst day you've had at the office? What's the day you you happily forget? <laughs> um, apart from the injuries, are obviously pretty obvious. Say, apart, but, 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 say. For a massive but actually, actually, <laughs> probably the second the. Se- the second to well, the last game I ever started in the Prem uh, <laughs> against Worcester when I got melt either that when I got melted by Christensen, Scotland, Williamson, the lad that went to the NFL, and that was put on viral on BT. <laughs> or when I got or when I got stripped by Atoji and that went viral on BT. Yeah. One of those two. Just because I'm still getting time to find them for the highlight reel at the start of this show. Honestly, I just yeah. got I I just get I just get tagged in them all the time still I'm just like for <laughs> God's sake I did so many good things on a rugby pitch and those are the two things I'm getting that my kids will probably see on YouTube <laughs> it's always the worst things that get brought up they, you know they, they'll never keep bringing up and reminding you of the best games you've ever you know, know. It's, always, it's always the worst one um, no. and to Sorry, up, one of the last shows we got called fuckers from Alex Payne because we've stitched him right up with his mess up <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't best pleased about that. But then JK fucked up his intro, so Alex laughed his tits off after that because he, <laughs> I don't do my life. <laughs> um, one last question from me. Um, I've been asking this with a lot of our guests recently. And we've had some very interesting answers. Um, gonna, gonna, you're going to post a scenario for you now. Obviously, we're all very aware of COVID nineteen lockdown situation. Now, this is the situation. You're on lockdown for two weeks. You're in, you're in one house. You cannot leave at any point, not even for your hours exercise a day. You're having food brought to you day in, day out. Who would be the person that you've either played with or against that you would least like to have in isolation with you for two weeks and why? Least? Yeah. Oh, um... <laughs> um... Good chance to throw someone under the bus here. They will be tired. Uh, yeah, um... <laughs> I'm trying. To th- I'm trying to think who was absolutely who I've lived. Who's absolutely dirty as anything? Um, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Dirty as anything. I don't know. For, for, this is. I'd say he's a, actually a friend of mine. A lad called Max Argyle, and I actually right. used to live. I used to live with him. But if we weren't able to go out the house, he was the oddest man I've ever met in my life. I actually. <laughs> I love the. I love the bloke. But I think after two weeks, if we just could do nothing else, I think one of us would have put a pillow over each other's face when we were asleep <laughs> or something. But he's actually he's actually a mate, but uh, and I lived with him. But he was a very very odd bloke. Perfect. Perfect. Well, yeah. I did. Thank you very much.
Yeah, thank no, you cheers. very much, Alex. And uh, hopefully we'll get you on again soon. Yeah, yeah well...